Let's pray and get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you want to do in our lives. And uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you that your spirit is here. When two or three are gathered in your name, you're there also. Lord, when we pray in agreement, Lord, acknowledging that what your word says is the truth, Lord, uh, man, you can, you can do anything. Uh, there's no limit to what you can do. Would you start? Would you start and complete that work in me, Lord? You say that you'll be faith. You'll you'll be faithful to complete the work that you started in us, and that is what I need the most. Lord, would you meet us here? We 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 sang it. You were praying for it, Lord, and we know that it is your desire, Lord. And so we ask again, Lord, meet with us today. Speak to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'll turn these down just a smidge because I got feedback. I hate it. Okay, Revelation chapter 20, guys. We made it, uh, oh, a third of the way through last week. And I, I want to start again in verse 1. I got a lot of great questions last week about oh, many, of the, many of the concepts that we talked about, many of the things that came up. Who's going, what's this kingdom, what's this thousand years going to be like? You know, who's going to be there? Who's not going to be there? Is it literally a thousand years? All of this stuff. Um, some great questions. And, you know, let me remind you um, that questions are not bad. Questions are a way to gain understanding. You know, the disciples in Mark 4 heard a story by Jesus about a sower, a, a farmer that planted seeds in different types of soil. And the result was different in each case. And they heard this parable and... You know, the disciples were super spiritual guys, so they got it right away, right? No. They had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And so they came back to Jesus and said, whatever did you mean? You know, what, what, what did that mean at all? And Jesus looked right at these 12 guys and he said, to you, it has been given, you know, the, the, the ability, he didn't, I'm paraphrasing, to understand the mysteries of God. Why was it given to them, right? And not the other people around because not understanding, they came back and they did what? They asked, right? When we don't ask, maybe it's a pride thing. Well, I, I guess you know, you know, I can't figure it out myself. Man, questions are awesome. Questions are awesome. They're a way to understand. We should always be questioning. We should always be looking to the Word of God for answers. And, and other people are so helpful in this process, aren't they? Uh, you know, has isolation proved that to us yet? You know, we're not meant to live alone. We're meant to live in community and fellowship and family. That's why it's called a body, right? Man, did you know? Did you know? I, I, I think I knew this, but I, I just it got filed away somewhere in the nether regions of my mind, which are deep. <laughs> um, did you know that the very church, the word church in Greek means to assemble? Man, this was never meant to be us against the world. It never was designed to be that way. It can't be that way. Not for me and not for you. In Revelation 20, verse 1, let's, let's start there. John is going to tell us some things, some amazing things. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. I'm going to be brief because we went through some of this last week. 
This angel comes down unnamed. He's not an angel of high rank. It's not Gabriel. It's not Michael. He's not an archangel. He's not a cherubim. It's just an angel. A unnamed angel comes down. He's got one hand on a key and one hand on a chain. And this unnamed, in my opinion, low-rank angel one-handedly grabs Satan and binds him up, ties him up. We talked about the, the ability that we have not to bind Satan, but to do the will of God when we're walking in obedience. That's what this angel's doing. He's doing what God's told him to do. And, and he has the ability to do that because God has told him to do it. And so will we as we go through this life and struggle at times to obey him. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years years and he cast him into the bottomless pit and he shut him up he shut up the slanderer and the accuser of the brethren shut him right up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished okay in revelation chapter 20 it's going to tell us six times that there's a period of time that's a thousand years long that is going to be like the Garden of Eden restored on earth. I mean, it's going to be a little different than that in some ways, but it's this incredible period of time. Most of the modern church says that this is not literal. This is just a symbol of heaven. How? Heaven is eternal. This is a thousand years. Heaven goes on forever. Six times in this chapter it tells us this is going to last a thousand years, and when a thousand years has come to its end, Satan will be released. Does that sound like heaven to you? Does that sound like a symbol for heaven? I think my symbol, you know, if there was going to be a symbol for heaven, it was going to be Satan's gone, and that's forever. He's not going to come back. That doesn't make sense at all. You know, uh, a man, and you know, his name is kind of funny if you know anything about the Bible or the book of Acts, but a man named Dwight Pentecost, a, a pretty well-known teacher, said, there is actually more said, this is his quote, and eh, you can agree with it, disagree, I kind of am somewhere in the middle. He said, there's more written in the Old Testament about the millennial kingdom than any future time, any other future time. The seven years, the great tribulation, uh, even heaven, like the eternal heaven. There's more written in the Old Testament about this a thousand years and what life will be like than any other time. But who like me has like, I just know it's a thousand years long and it's really good. <laughs> you know, like, man, we should be focused on the good that God has promised to us, shouldn't we? I mean, if it's that good, if it's that written about, if it's that important, do we think about it? You know, when I'm lying in bed, am I daydreaming about it? You know, I daydream about cool things, you know, like if I'm going to go to a camp the next day, if I'm going to hike Katahdin the next day, if I'm going to drive a go-kart. I'm a pretty simple guy, you know. I'm going to go hunting with a buddy. I'm going to go fit. I mean, we, 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 we think about these things the day before, but, you know, we have a thousand years. You know, the best, best case scenario was the oldest person that's ever lived, like one, you know, not in the Bible, I know, but in modern times, like 115, 120 I mean, a hundred would be great, right? This is ten times that. And it's not the kind of life that we have here, right? That, I think, is the most important thing. Because if it was the kind of life we had here, I don't know that I'd want it. I'm, like, good with a hundred years and then, and then Jesus. Like, real. There. Out of here. But what this describes, this is amazing, guys. 
And, and it, it just, you know, you're going to meet people as you, as you hold on to these promises that say, hey, your promise, that's not really what it means. And you need to just hang on to what the Bible says. It says it's a thousand years. It's a thousand years. Like, what is God trying to confuse us here? No, not at all. This thousand years, and, and you know, we talked about, so we're going to talk about it a little more today, but Satan is going to be released at the end of this thousand years um, to deceive the nations. After these things, verse 3 concludes this way, he must, he has to be, it's part of the plan of God that he would be released for a little while. Boy, that sun feels good. Well, we're not baking like last week. <laughs> so let's continue. John goes on and he saw, and I want to clear something up here, and, but without going too deep into it. He said, and I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Well, who's they and who's them? That's believers. Judgment was committed unto believers. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, didn't you know you're going to judge angels? Didn't you know you're going to judge the world? So don't have lawsuits against your fellow believers. Come on, you can figure it out. That's the context. But you know, it's very interesting, and I don't want to lose you guys, but at the end of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel is being given this information about the end of time. And he is given a timetable that's seven years long by this angel that's meeting with him. Hey, the time until the end is this many days. But then right after, it's almost the last verse in Daniel chapter 12 to conclude the book, the angel goes, oh, by the way, there's another 45-day period, and you'll be really blessed if you make it to the end of that 45 days. And, you know, you read the Bible just like that, and you're like scratching your head, what does this mean? What is this extra 45 days? Anybody know what Matthew 25, you know, that, that you know, well, let me just, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, I love the Bible. I really do. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man, when, at this time, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. When He comes to the earth and sits on the throne, He'll be in Jerusalem. This is at the end of the Great Tribulation. This is what's going on. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. There's going to be this separation when Jesus is on the throne, the tribulation has come to an end. Does anybody in the world live through this horrific period of time? Yes. Believers and unbelievers. You know, most people will die during this period of time. But the Bible, you know, the Bible doesn't say everyone dies. Some people come to the end of this and there's a separation. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, there's a separation between the sheep and the goats. And this separation is based upon their actions during the, the Great Tribulation. In fact, Jesus says, what did you do to the least of these? What did you do to my brethren? I think which is a reference to the Jews. Did you harbor them? Did you help them? Did you provide for them? Did you take them into your home? Or, you know, there were, if we just look at history, you know, in, during the Holocaust, there were Christian ministers that Jews would show up and knock on their door and say, let us come in, take care of us. And they would call the authorities and have them sent to a concentration camp. There were others that would hide them and harbor them at the cost sometimes of their lives. You know, and, and so at this, this Matthew 25, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. There's this time period. I think it's the 45 days from Daniel 
where there's a separation between those that would continue into this a thousand years, people that have lived through the tribulation. Uh, who will enter the tribulation? Will wicked people enter the tribulation? No. They're the goats that are spoken of in Matthew 25. You know, Jesus says to them that they will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, so real, live, like mortal, physical, natural people, I mean, there's kind of, there's not a lot of great words, like people will enter into this period. They'll live through this, the tribulation, and they'll come in. That Some of them will have their spouses. Some of them will get married in that time. Some will have children. But who else will be there? See, this is where things get a little confusing. We read through Revelation 20, and we're like, okay, so those that died in the tribulation, they'll be there. Well, let's read a little bit ahead, and, and I'll, it, it clears it right up. Jesus says, I saw, or John says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Because only the righteous, you know, that displayed the righteousness through action will enter this 1,000-year kingdom. Right? And um, then John says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So some would say only those believers who came to Christ during the tribulation that then died, only they are in the thousand years. That's what it says, doesn't it? No. Let me, let me just clear this up with you, right? We just had our seven-year, during the Great Tribulation, the church had its seven-year honeymoon with Jesus. What good husband, after seven years, after their honeymoon, looks at his wife and says, I need a thousand-year break from you, right? I need a thousand years off. I need a break from you. That was a lot. You're, I mean, I married you, but you're not that great. So I need a thousand years of separation from you. No, the scriptures teach us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, Jesus said in John 14 to the disciples, he said, look, if I go away, I'm going to come back and you're going to be with me where I am. So where will we be? After death, where will we be after the rapture? Where will we be? Where, where, do, where is a believer always going to be? With Jesus. So if Jesus is on earth, where are we going to be? We're going to be on earth. We're going to be with him. So what we read in Revelation 20 is something written to a persecuted church in the Roman era that was like, hang on, even if you die, guess what? You're going to be with him, ruling and reigning. This was like an encouragement in the midst of anguish. None of us can relate, I, I, and I'm looking around, maybe I'm wrong, but none of us can relate to civil war. None of us can relate to some of the things. I had a Serbian man stay with me. Not Siberian, Serbian difference. Serbian man, of course, Serbia and Albania, a country next to it, we're in a 30-year war. And this man, he's just a little bit older than me. We were right into church together, and I asked him about it, and uh, he said he was a, a tank driver in that conflict. He said he actually had to change his name, be, uh, his first name, because he has Albanian roots despite being a Serbian citizen. And so there's this great, I mean, I'm sitting there with, Judah was actually riding the truck with me, and I said, Judah, this is the first man you've ever met that has been in a country, has lived in a country that's been at war. Like, I mean, yes, we go other places and have conflicts in other nations, yet soldiers, United States soldiers and stuff. This is the first time we ever sat, Judah had ever sat next to a man that could say, in my whole childhood, I lived in a war zone, right? 
You know, and for him, the hope, the promises of the gospel, man, they, they meant something more than when just everything is, you know, you know, am I going to camp this weekend or are we staying home, you know? I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing. We have a privileged nation. We have incredible blessings, but there's a difference there. And this kid, I mean, this guy, this man hung on to the promise of God through that. And, and that's what these people are doing. So, you know, verse 4 is just highlighting those that will also be there. It's not saying that they're the only ones that will be there. So let, let's just get this, let's be on the same page. And, I mean, if you have a different opinion, that's fine. We can talk about it. I'm not going to get upset about it. But will the church... Will Old Testament believers, will those that die in Christ, that if we died today before the rapture, will the rapture church, will believers in the tribulation that die or live through, who, will they all be in the thousand-year kingdom? You should, yes, yes. No believer ever is going to be separated from Jesus Christ, ever. And that's, that's just true to Scripture. But it says... <coughs> The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So who's the rest of the dead? People that are not believers. People that died in the tribulation. People that made it through the tribulation, but they were wicked. They didn't help the Jews. They didn't care for Christ. They just hid out in a cave and made it through somehow. Right? People that died in the Old Testament. People that died <coughs> the wicked, the unrighteous, the fools. All the different things the Lord called them, who do not grab onto the grace of God, the free gift of God, by faith and believe and trust the Lord and what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins. Anybody that rejects that, they're called the dead. Believers in the Bible are never called the dead. We're called the, something close, the dead in Christ. But most of the time, we are called those that sleep in the Lord, those that sleep in Jesus. <coughs> Why? Why is sleep used? Not because it's like soul sleep, not because we'll be unconscious, but because we'll be at, <coughs> be hacking. I don't have it. I just got something in my throat. <laughs> Man, it is a strong tickle. Oh. <coughs> because sleep equates to rest. Rest. Man. <coughs> wow. That's bad. <coughs> but the uh, what? <laughs> but the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Who <coughs> Has this ever happened? I think this is the first time that this has <coughs> gone on for this long. So then we get confused. This is the first resurrection. What, when the dead come back to life after a thousand years? No. If you're there at the millennial kingdom, if you're there for a thousand years, you have a physical body. You've been brought back. You've been given life by Jesus. You want to be part of the first, and that's the chief. That's a category, not like an order of events. Like a first mate on a ship is not like he's the first guy that ever was mate. He's, that's his position, right? You want to be part of that position. You want to be part of the first resurrection, right? The first resurrection includes everybody that's going to be with Jesus forever. 
But the rest of the dead, they're part of something called the second resurrection. They're brought back to life, as it were, for what? We'll read of this really clearly next week. They're brought back for one purpose. Judgment. Judgment. The great white throne judgment. And we'll read about that uh, a little today and really focus on that next week. John then says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him 1,000 years. Over such, the second death has no power. Do you guys understand this? Do you understand that for the believer, things get better and better and better? And for the unbeliever, things get worse and worse and worse. Now, you guys, most of you have heard this, but I, I like the saying, I like the brevity of it, this saying, if you're born once, you will die twice. If you're born twice, you will die once. I like that. There's a lot of truth wrapped up into that. And so my question, the unanswerable question for me, as it pertains to you, is have you been born again? Have you been born from above? Has your life totally changed? Are you walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Or like First John says, have we kind of deceived ourselves? You know, he says it so well. And he's not trying to guilt trip anybody. He just says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, if we, if we say, I mean, words are cheap, guys, that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we're lying and we don't practice the truth. We, we can lie to ourselves. We can lie to other people. But self-deception, I mean, that's what Satan is all about. He's a deceiver. He comes back after a thousand years to do what? Deceive the nations. What do you think his, what do you think he's doing now? Deceiving people. The Bible teaches that we need to be born again. Like there's something wrong with us and it needs to be changed. And it cannot be changed by the work of man, the accomplishments of man, by the religion of man. It can only be done by God. It's a birth from above. You didn't give birth to yourself, did you? And that can't happen spiritually either. But we have a choice. We can look to the one that can do it, or we can turn away and experience death a second time. We're going to really read about that specifically next week. There's not just one death for the wicked. Not just one death for the wicked. Well, back in Revelation chapter 20, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Well, let's keep going. That's as far as we made it last week. And before we do, you know, I just, wanna, I just want to remind you, you know, I said we ought to be thinking about this thousand year period. And it's all through the Old Testament. But let me take you to one more place. I love this place. Would you turn to Zechariah chapter 8? Did I say that like a Jew would? Zechariah, does that sound pretty good? Where is Zechariah? Because I, I was like, uh, it's somewhere in the Old Testament. So go two books back from Matthew. So if you go to Matthew, go back to Malachi, the Jewish Italian prophet, and then go one more past that. You're at Zechariah. So you can find it. Trust me, you can get there. And I want you to see the words on the page because they're important to me and they should be important to us. And this is a promise of God to us. So Zechariah chapter 8. 
and we'll start in verse 2. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 2. This is what the Lord of hosts said. Okay? I love this. He says, I am zealous for Zion, that's Jerusalem, with great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. You know what God just said? I can't wait for this to happen. I want this so bad. What does he, what does he want? Well, we're going to read about it. This is what the Lord is looking forward to. You, you ever wonder, like, does the Lord have good things for me or is bad? Is he going to squish me like a bug? Is he just trying to keep all the things that I want to do away from me so I can just suffer and be religious and be, you know, like live in a monastery? No. No, the Lord wants good for us. And that's what he says, with great zeal, I'm zealous for Jerusalem. I'm zealous for what's coming. With great fervor, I'm zealous for it. And in verse 3, he says, I will return to Zion. Where is Jesus going to come back and rule and reign from? Jerusalem. You're going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. That mount is going to split in half, Scripture says. There's a fault line already there, right? We know that physically. We know that from science today. He's going to touch down and take his throne at the end of this seven years. You know, the beast and the false prophet thrown in the lake of fire, you know, and for a thousand years, Satan bound, and he's going to rule and reign from this earth. This is, his, this is what he's doing. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, verse 3. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. Is there any city of, I mean, I come from Philadelphia, right? City of brotherly love. You know, there, there was a year right before I left that we had more murders than days in the city of brotherly love. More murders than there are days in a year in the city precincts, right? City of brotherly love. Well, that's what we called it. We had our statue, our love statue. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen that, right? But that's not what it was. But Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and it will be a city of truth. It actually will be what it's called. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain... God's throne will be there. So listen, he's now going to describe how good it is, and he's going to use just two things really quick to tell us what this thousand years will be like. Just two elements. And I mentioned this before, but I wanted to take you to it. He says, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. You know what's cool? As I get older, I'm 32, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not saying... Not like, not like Glenn, you know? <laughs> but you know what's cool? As I do get older, there are times where one of the most enjoyable things for me to do is sit and watch kids play. Sit and watch life happen around me. Not veg out in front of the TV. Sit by a lake with my wife and hold her hand. We don't have to be going anywhere. We don't have to be running a thousand miles an hour. We can just sit. And you know what? God is saying, look, this is what this time period will be like. Old men and old women will be sitting. They'll be filled with delight. They'll be just enjoying everything that's going on around them. They'll be sitting on their front porch. They'll be sitting by the camp. They'll be sitting by the water. They'll be sitting with their kids. 
right? And of course we, well, they're old. So are we in our glorified bodies going to be old? No, we're going to be in our glorified bodies ruling and reigning in, in, in league with, you know, what what Jesus is doing. We're, we're, we're not going to be mortal then. We're not going to be aging, but there will be mortal people there. There'll be natural people there. And guess what? You know, Isaiah 65 says uh, someone 100 years old will be considered a child. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where people were living almost a thousand years. You know, people aren't going to be dying from accidents. People aren't going to be dying from crime. Nobody's going to be taking their own life. There's going to be no abuse. There's going to be no pornography. There's going to be no slavery. There's going to be no corruption. You ever wonder what a perfect uh, political party looks like? It's Jesus on the throne with his saints ruling and reigning with him. There's no delay to justice. There's no bribery. There's no look the other way and take this and we'll act like it didn't happen. You know, anybody ever see, I, I love talk, yeah, Minority Report. Anybody watch that movie? Tom Cruise. I don't know if I su suggest it now or not. I can't remember everything that's in it. But here's one of the concepts of the movie. Tom Cruise, whatever his character's name, works for a police department that somehow through these three people that, I don't know, it's weird. Just follow me for a second. They, these three, like, I forget what they call them. They're not, I knew I couldn't describe it. I should have written this down. So they have this method for knowing that a murder will happen before it happens. And the police department now, instead of catching the criminal after it's committed, will go and they'll catch him before they do it. So that's, uh, that's kind of the opening premise of the movie. They're part of a, a investigative team and they rush in and they capture the people right before the murder's committed, right? And I thought, I was thinking about that and I think, will there be sin in this millennial kingdom? Yeah, you know, anyone that rebels against Jesus, someone that has perfect knowledge, perfect power, perfect authority, and perfect judgment, it'll, it'll get taken care of right quick. It'll get taken care of before it happens. And I think that was kind of a, a good way for me to think about it. I'm getting a little off track. Old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. Anybody been in the streets of a major city? I mean, there's some safe parts, but there's some nasty parts too. There's some, there's some bad parts to cities, right? We've experienced that. But they'll be sitting, filled with delight in the streets, each one with his staff in his hand because of his great age. I love this next part. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. You know what a thousand-year kingdom will be like? You, you guys ever, like, get this from people? I want to be up in heaven with a harp, like, floating around, not in my physical body, you know, doing whatever the angels do. No, 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 no. This just said that kids will be playing. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? No, it's what they were made for. It's what they were made for. They will be playing in complete safety. Boys and girls will be playing. It, it appears from Zechariah that they'll even be getting along, which is amazing. <laughs> if you come to our house, you'll, you'll see the antithesis of the thousand-year kingdom here. We want this, right? The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus, this is what the Lord of, of hosts says, If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days... Will it also be marvelous in my eyes? What he says is, if that sounds good to you now, don't you think that sounds good to me too? That's what I want. That's what I want. 
I just love thinking about it. We should daydream about this period of time all the time. No war, no cancer, no abuse will be there. You know? Man. What an exciting thing. What an amazing promise. We talked a lot about some other things last week, so we'll kind of move on into verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He must be released to deceive who? Is he going to deceive believers? No. (laughs) We're not deceivable. We're following Jesus. Who's he going to deceive? The mortal people, natural people, the people that have lived into the tribulation and had babies and... You know, um, they're going to follow Jesus because they don't really have a choice, right? Let me tell you a quick story, right? Uh, I came to know Jess. Like, I, I like got my foot in the door right after I got hit in the face with a splitting mall. And here, that sounds kind of crazy, but here, let me give you my logic. I got hit in the face with a splitting mall right in my front two top teeth. I thought I was going to lose them. I was also very interested in Jess, and I, I was kind of pursuing her, but she had no idea. So I knew I had to make a move in case I lost my teeth, because Jess has a choice. I'm not saying if you have, if you have teeth problems, it's nothing about that. It's just, you know, Jess had many choices of suitors, right? And I figured if I lost my front two teeth, I might not be so high up. The, you know, we, we love and choosing always go together, right? I'm not saying Jess is shallow. She's anything but that. But understand this. After a thousand years of a perfect environment, people, mortal people, will have a choice. Who do they want to follow? There's never time period, any, any time in the here and now or then, right, where people are not going to have choice. Right? If you don't have a choice, you have to. And so at the end of a thousand years... Man is going to be given a choice. Those people that are alive in the earth are going to be given a choice. Do you want Jesus or not? Right? They get to choose. So, I know what you're all thinking. You'd think, if people have a perfect environment, of course they'll choose Jesus, right? Because we hear people say, if my child hadn't died, or I hadn't been messed with, or um, I had some money or I wasn't sick, or I had a better dad or a better husband or whatever, vice versa, right? Then I would love God and follow him. But because this world is so messed up, I just can't love God. I can't follow a God like that. Have we all heard people that have said things like this? I mean, even some of us, you know? And there's pain there. We shouldn't just, like, casually dismiss any of those things. But here, let me give you a little history lesson about the nature of man. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He, gave, he created the Garden of Eden. He gave man dominion. He gave us purpose. He gave us a bride. Everything was perfect. There was no death. There was perfect community with God. We walked with him in the garden. We talked to him every day, right? Perfect environment. What did man do? We sinned. So then, you know, maybe, maybe man, we, we got a little smarter. We said, well... If only we had a perfect set of rules to follow. If we had the rules to follow, then we could perfectly follow them. So the law of Moses was given to man. And people said, now that we know the rules, we will follow them. We will love God. We will serve him. We will do all of these things, Moses. And did they? No. But they probably thought, if God was actually physically here in person, then we would follow him. So Jesus came. 
and showed us all what the, he's the image of the invisible God. He's, he's exactly what God is, and he came in human form. And what did this world do? We murdered him. And then in a time future, Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. It's going to be peace on earth. It's no more war, no more bad. You know, it won't be heaven yet where there's no sorrow, no death. It'll be a little different than that. But perfect environment, really, and perfect Jesus and physically there, will that be enough for every single person to say, I want him? No. After a thousand years, Jesus comes, or Satan comes back and he says, you're missing out on something. Let me show you what it is. You know, and it's not as if they, these, you know, let's just keep reading. They will go out, he, Satan will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth. That's all the way around the globe. Gog and Magog, a reference to Ezekiel 38, just a, a it, reminiscent of that, not the same event. But to gather them together to do what? To battle. Like after a thousand years of Jesus, what does man want to do? They want to throw him out. They want to crucify him again. They want to fight against him physically. But that's them, right? We're not like that, are we? Are we? We're made of the same stuff. We're part of the human race, right? We must be born again. Religion isn't enough. Perfect environment is not enough. Jesus physically here, not enough. We must be born again. We must choose Him. We'll surround Him. You know, uh, they'll gather them together in battle whose number, is this just going to be a few people? No. John sees the, that the number is as the sand of the sea, the greatest number that's mentioned in Revelation. People as numerous as the sand of the sea, billions of people gathered to try to throw Jesus out after a thousand perfect years. I hope that speaks to you guys of how messed up men are. How messed up we are. Not just they, then, but us. And we need to be changed from the inside out. And the only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. They went up to the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Boy, that was quick, wasn't it? That was a quick end. You think that's the end that Jesus wanted? You think that's the end that God wanted? Does God take pleasure in the death or the suffering of the wicked? Not at all. But He's done with them. He's done with that. He's done with rebellion. And He's going to make something that will last forever. And that which defiles, that which causes to sin, that which causes to stumble, is going to be thrown out in, an, in its entirety and forever. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, which now holds three entities. The false prophet, the beast the Antichrist, and now it's holding the devil. Jesus said this place, the lake of fire, was prepared. It was made for the devil and his angels. And it's starting to be filled by them. Um, it's, he was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Does that sound like it ever comes to an end? Day and night forever and ever? In fact, in Matthew 25, there's a whole brand of Christianity now that's saying if you die and you're wicked, you just are annihilated, snuffed out, you're just gone, and there's no suffering, there's no torment. Man, that just does not sound like what Jesus described in Luke 16, where he talks about, you know, a rich man that goes to his grave. And he says, 
three times in that short little section, which is not a parable, it's a story. He said that that man, whether he expressed it or was in, he was in torment. And we see that somebody that was wicked after this life is in a place of consciousness. They're not unconscious. They're in a place of regret. They're in a place of suffering and torment. You know, this rich man cries out for someone just to wet the tip of his tongue. He cries out that someone could be sent back from that region, from basically the underworld, to go and warn those who are alive. He's a thinking, functional man that's all alone and is all in torment, and that's not even the lake of fire yet. That's just the waiting room for the lake of fire. And that's terrifying, guys. That's terrifying. You know, Jesus, you've heard this, but Jesus actually taught more about hell than he did heaven. There's a reason for that. And I'm still determining what that reason is. Was Jesus just this guilt-mongering, like, I'll scare him into heaven kind of guy? No, I don't see that anywhere in him. But he was dead serious about the reality of future judgment. Just like when we're parents and we see our kids navigating a path and one is leading to, the, to their destruction, we are willing or should be willing to step in and say, this is where that's going to take you. Wouldn't, shouldn't we? And that's who he is. John is laying out the reality of what's amazing for the believer and what's terrifying and horrible for the unbeliever. I'm going to read the next couple of verses and then we're just going to we're going to break there. I'm not going to talk about them, but I want you to read them for next week again. You know, read through this whole chapter if you would. And uh, actually, Al's teaching. He's probably not teaching on this, so just stay current with this. I'll be back the week after Al. But this, in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. There was no place to hide. There's a day of the resurrection of the unjust, or of the wicked, where they're brought back to life, as it were, for eternal judgment. Because we were created in God's image, and we were created in His likeness, and we will, wicked or, un, or, or righteous, we'll live forever. It's just where? With whom? In what state? And John says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. What's in those books, guys? And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. Are they good enough to enter heaven by the things which were written in the books? Is anybody going to get into heaven that stands at the great white throne? Is anybody going to stand before God and he's going to say, this is your life, let's look through it. Oh, you're good enough, come on in here. Is anybody going to get into paradise, to his kingdom that way? Boy, we try awful hard though, don't we? We should be so grateful for his grace. Because if his grace did not exist, man, we'd be, we'd be approaching him in our own merits. And we'd fall flat on our face. We'll talk more about this, but I won't go on and on. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. If you figure out exactly what that means, let me know. Because <laughs> I'm still not sure. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Now that's like the grave or the underworld, the wicked waiting. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. 
And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You know, the book of life is very interesting, guys. I believe firmly that each person that is created by God, when they're, you know, he's a God, he's out of eternity. He knew us before we were born, right? The Bible talks about we come into this world and our names are written in the book of life. And that's the way God wants it to stay. But through stubborn refusal and pride, through our own merit or whatever we think, right? Through a wicked life, through rejection of Jesus Christ, there will come a time where at the end of our lives, our names are blotted out of that book. And that's who's here. I really believe that no one's name is blotted out until they die. You know, it's been appointed man wants to die and then the judgment. I love chapter 21 and we'll get there. You know, we've got one really hard thing to look at. It's sobering. It's intense. It's not something we love, you know, to study. It's the reality that the Bible speaks of. It speaks of choice. It speaks of our responsibility. It speaks of God's grace, open and ready for any of us that would take it. May we live that way, and may that be the thing that we talk about the most and present to other people. Let's pray, guys. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, uh, well, you know, I don't think anybody suffered here. But go a little longer, Lord, Lord than, uh, you know, we have been with uh, a change for Maranatha and not needing our equipment. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would make sense of this stuff. Lord, I think there's things that you teach us and, and, and bring to our attention and bring up in our hearts. Lord, here on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night, Lord, that you intend, like, to fan the flame throughout the week as we pay attention to your word then, as we think of you then and talk to you, Lord. I pray that that would be what's happening in each one of our lives, Lord. You teach us more about you and we become more like you and prepared for what? is coming our way and is promised to us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, grace and peace, guys.